Funny, <clears throat> funny thing about uh, <clears throat> when someone reads your uh, bio is you're like, is that really me? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But it is an honor and a privilege to be here this morning. Um, Tom and I have hit it off as friends uh, since he moved up here. But one of the joys I've had at Covenant over the years is as we have served there as his little brother, one of his younger brothers, I'm not going to call him his little brother, Greg Har. And so Greg and Erica and Stella and Scarlett are part of our congregation and a joy to, to be there. This morning as we, as we gather here on January 1st, um, I do have to say that, you know, I, my, I commented to my wife as we were leaving that, uh, you know, the traffic getting out of our neighborhood was unbelievable. Um, people wanting to go to church, especially on New Year's Day. Uh, so if, if salvation is all earned by your works, which it's not, um, you, get, you get an extra uh, a star in your crown when you get to heaven. And you know that's not true. That's not how it works. But as, a, as, we, as we meet this morning, and especially the Sunday after Christmas, um, you haven't taken down your decorations, maybe. We have already. The weather's nice. the time to do it. But I, I want you to pause for a moment and think about your nativity scene. Um, I don't know if you put one up, if you're that elaborate that you have one in your yard, or at least you have one on the buffet or on a table in your house. You know, the characters that are in that nativity scene, usually uh, you better have baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary uh, you better have some shepherds, and uh, maybe if it's fancy enough, you have a couple of angels somewhere in it. And then usually you have three other guys somewhere in that, in that nativity scene uh, that we have called the kings. The three kings, the three wise men. And the idea here is, is you're, as you have that nativity scene, and I have to say that, that as I put it up every year, I don't want to put those guys out because the truth is, is they weren't there. And most of us are probably aware of it, but they came later. They probably came even up to two years later. They came to the house where Joseph and Mary and Jesus lived. Um, and they came looking for Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at the idea of why, you know, why these kings would come. And matter of fact, after I sent the title to, uh, after I sent the title to Tim, you know, you're going to find in this sermon, I'm going to correct my title. But uh, as we do at Covenant, I'm going to ask, I don't know if you do it here or not, but let's stand for the reading of God's word. As we say, if someone, if Jesus himself physically would walk in the room, uh, we would stand. If you're at a wedding and the bride comes in the room, you stand. If somebody important comes into the room, the polite thing to do is stand. And as we gather together this morning and we read God's word, we realize that his word is, as the author of Hebrews says, living and active. And why is it living and active? Is because as we read it and as we gather together this morning, the Holy Spirit meets with us. Jesus is present with us through his word. And isn't that good news? And that's why we stand together to read. So from Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what that time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I, may, I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. That ends reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we come and we look at your word, a passage of scripture that is familiar to us, uh, one that many of us in this room have cowed countless times, and one that maybe even has been memorized. Father, we pray that in those familiar passages that you would push through the familiarity and make it alive and active in our hearts. We each come very different, with different burdens on our hearts, uh, some with great sadness, others, Father, just with fear and anxiety. Uh, Father, I don't know what each one may be feeling, but you do, so we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through the words that I preach, that you may be glorified, that your grace would be poured out on us so that we would leave this place changed, not because the sermon was great, but because your Holy Spirit worked through it. So, Father, we pray that you would speak through me. Father, keep me from being any type of a distraction, and may you receive the honor and the glory, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's start by working through this passage a little bit. What I like to do is work through and and again, using the, we're going to exegete or expound the passage, because it's important for us to understand that any time we come, we, we, want to, we do want to learn about God's Word, and we want to understand it, we want to study it together. So let's just review, even though it's a very simple story in so many ways. But what we realize as we come to the book of Matthew is it is, it is written primarily to a Jewish audience. Um, we, have the, we have the four Gospels, and when you read them, they're, they're each a little different. And there's times where skeptics come through and say, hey, one doesn't line up with this one. They must be false. But they're written from a different perspective. Uh, you know that when you look at anything and you come to, you know, something happens. If, if some of you maybe have saw an accident this morning as you were coming to church and, and uh, you paused and there were witnesses, each person looking from a different direction, each one would look at what happened from a different perspective. So each of the Gospels comes to tell the story of Jesus from a different perspective and with a different audience in mind. So when we come to Matthew, it's primarily written to a Jewish audience. So there's certain things he highlights. And one of the things he highlights is this account of these wise men coming to see Jesus. So it is unique because it speaks, it speaks of God's work already from the very beginning of God gathering and drawing the nations to the Messiah who had come. So the wise men come from the east to see Jesus. Now, as I said earlier, my title says, When Kings Meet Jesus, but the truth is they more than likely weren't kings. Uh, we know when we've heard the word magi or magi, and we recognize that there's, there's something different to that. That's not, that's not a king. But magos, the Greek word that's used behind it, is, is used most often in a sense of somebody who studies astrology. 
uh, is, you know, is an astrologer, uh, you know, looks and figures out the times. But in many ways, when, when we, in this context, not just simply an astrologer, but someone who is studying the times, the, and it has both a secular and a religious element to it. So here in 2.1, it's probably based to say that the magos may be translated as men of wisdom who studied the stars. So they were looking and they were studying the stars. And what we find so often in scripture is Matthew gives us a blank. It's a, it's, there's so much that's not here that we want to know, don't we? We want to know what actually were they studying? What knowledge did they have? And if you are, if you are an astrologist at all and, you're, you know, and, we, and you are studying the stars, you, you wonder what, what, what did they see? What did they know? But all that we know is supernaturally by an act of God a star appeared to them that drew them for some reason to Bethlehem. Now, again, for a, for a skeptic, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons to doubt, isn't there? A lot, a lot of reasons to ask, this can't be true. How can a star move? How, how can any of that happen? How could, how could this actually happen? Maybe this is just a myth. But when we look back and if we're cautious, we look in our own lives, we do know that Scripture also says that our, that our Lord works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? And he's probably worked in mysterious ways even in your own life. But nevertheless, as we come to this passage, God worked in such a way that these men, and we're not quite sure where, it, you know, we do know historically that Babylon was the home of a lot of astrology, and it could be from there, but again, we simply don't know. But we do know that they came to find Jesus. For those of you, if you're interested in church history at all, the uh, patristic father by the name of Tertullian, who was uh, from Carthage and wrote quite profusely, uh, he was the first one to identify them as kings. And, and he's the one, ultimately, then, we can blame for the song, We Three Kings of Orientar. I won't sing it for you. But the truth is that they, indeed, more than likely, were not kings. But what we do realize is they came to Bethlehem, they came to ask the question, when they came to Jerusalem, excuse me, with, began to ask around town, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, we know in that culture, going around these men, quite wealthy, uh, probably traveling with their camels, they didn't sneak into town, they looked important, it was evident to everybody who they were. Uh, you know, they came as emissaries, potentially, and they came and they were asking around Jerusalem, where's the king? Where's the king? Now, obviously, the city would be in a stir as people would wonder who they are, what are they asking? And what we see in this account is that King Herod, he, he hears what's, what's happening around Jerusalem, and it's bothersome to him. Uh, as again, uh, he, when, he was, when he heard it, I love it, he was disturbed. He was really greatly disturbed. And, and you know, there's a reason for that, because Herod the Great was a guy that, uh, if he wasn't in his place of rule, he should be locked up someplace, uh, because he, he was erratic in behavior, um, and uh, it, there's a lot that he did to protect himself, his, his fame, his own security, but he was, he was both crafty and cruel. Uh, by this point in his life, he was psychologically unstable and fearful, paranoid in many ways, and when someone comes to town of this significance importance asking who would be the king of the Jews, this obviously caused him a lot of stress and despair. And we know when we look at the history of Herod, he had a, he had a pattern of killing people, including members of his family who would be potential rivals because he wanted to protect his position. So the emphasis there of Herod's disruption is important. And we also realize if you look a few verses down from where we read this morning, 
that he got so desperate that he killed all the little boys two years and younger. That's radically cruel, and sometimes we miss that. So what Herod does then is he gathers all the religious leaders, and that would be the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and even those who had uh, the past chief priests, anybody who had happened to know, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, he gathered them all together to ask the question, who is this? Who are they looking for? And it's interesting, you'll see there that they reply from Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And let me just read that quite quickly, where we read, uh, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So this clearly wasn't the answer that Herod wanted to hear, um, and he s- dismisses them, and so uh, he more than likely didn't tell him what his intention was, but he got that information from them. So then separately, he calls the Magi in, he calls the wise men in, and he secretly interrogates them. And his point there, as we see in the text, that he wanted to find out the exact time the star appeared. He wanted to know the details. He wanted to understand, again, to find out where this child was, as we know, so that he could solve the problem his own way. He was worried. He had a lot of anxiety about this prophecy that the religious leaders had told him. So as he's done questioning, he sends them out with the promise, this empty words of, you know, why don't you go and once you find him, come back to me so that I can go and worship him. Uh, One of the many big lies of leaders throughout history. And so we see the wise men leave and we see once again that as they make their way, a star appears and leads them to Jesus. So when do they come to the house of Mary and Joseph and Jesus? There's a couple phrases that stand out starkly. And one is this, when they found him, they rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Now there's several times we find in the scripture the phrase exceedingly with great joy. There's an emphasis that they, they weren't just happy to find Jesus. They weren't just glad to find Jesus. It's written in such a way that it's more than glad. It's, it's, it's in, the, in the Greek is used as a way to emphasize they were really joyful. The emphasis was profound. They had looked, understand this, they looked for this, they followed the star, but when they finally found it, there was exceeding great joy. Paul uses a similar phrase when he was the promises of Christ. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we could ask or imagine. You see, these men didn't just come from a scientific perspective because there was sheer joy and delight in finding Jesus. So they're joyful. But notice secondly what happened. Then they fell down. These men of power and wisdom, they came before him and they fell down and they worshipped him. That was the second thing they did. Now we, again, we, there's a level there that how did they know it? What was the response of worship? We don't know what God may be doing in these men's heart. But I happen to believe that as God in Scripture draws all men to himself, that these men who traveled this great distance, God was even working in their heart to draw them to the Messiah, drawing them to Jesus, so that when they recognized, the first response was joy. The second was to fall down and to worship. Then we know that they presented him with gifts, expensive gifts, Gifts that are suited for a king. Gold 
Anybody would know when you look through the Old Testament that king, you know, the, the gold is a gift for a king. It's noble for a king. Frankincense, or literally pure incense. And we recognize if you look through the Old Testament, you'll find that frankincense was, was a key part of the grain offering. and is a, pr- fr- a, a key part of service to the Lord. We find myrrh, and myrrh was also a, was made from a fragrant tree, but it was, it was used as a perfume. And most often, as we recognize, in, in, is that it was actually a way that bodies were anointed. It was one of the, the, one of the, one of the fragrant, one of the oils that was used for a body to embalm it, to preserve it, was myrrh. But we also see that Esther used myrrh as part of her uh, way to uh, earn favor with the king. And then we see that after this happens, we don't know how long they were there, but the wise men ignore Herod, and they, by, by being warned in a dream from God, and they head out of town in a different way, head out the back path, so to speak. So here's the story, reviewing it, looking at it a certain way, but what's most important for us is not only to understand it, because Scripture is important, but the application to our lives, <clears throat> excuse me, how would, why does this even matter? especially as we recognize that there seems to be a few, a few key points to this. And if I was going to say the key aspect, the key application, the key phrase that Matthew uses in this verse is we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. The very call of all those who God calls to himself, all those who come to know Jesus Christ, they are called to worship primarily. You know, let's, let's not hesitate to realize how long of a journey these men took. It was long and arduous. It could be estimated up to 1,000 miles on, on camelback. You know, you think even for some of you, if you traveled over the holidays and, and got caught in the traffic someplace and, and you were delayed a couple hours in your car that had heat and sound systems and, and, and everything you wanted and you get frustrated by a couple hours, these men going days and months even in pursuit of following the star, looking for this little child, this little child born of humble birth to, hu- to a humble woman, to a young man. And as they come, they seek and they work hard. There's great effort, and they come and they present him with lavish gifts. Now, what's interesting, again, I know I've touched on this, so you're not, I'm, not, I'm not getting senile repeating myself here, but what they gave to him as they recognized after they traveled this journey was gold indeed was a gift for the king. But as they came to worship him, it was a gift to the king of kings. It was a gift to the one who would come and do his work on earth, the one who would come born of of a virgin and yet be fully God, the one who would come and, and humble himself and obey every requirement of God perfectly, the one who would die a cruel death on the cross, to be raised again on the third day, but let us never forget that he ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns today. They came and they gave gold to the king of kings. They also brought frankincense because he is indeed God. And the fullness of Godhead dwells in him. And the frankincense that was necessary and sacrifices were no longer necessary because he had fulfilled all righteousness. He brought myrrh for he is also a man destined to death, who died on the cross and willingly did so by his own choice. See, the focus of this passage 
is worship, the worship of the one true king. So, so what can we learn from these men? From these men, We recognize, obviously, the, the picture of the gospel. They recognized who Jesus was. <clears throat> but we, as we sit here today, and even more so as we leave this room, they looked for Jesus. They studied. They physically traveled. And interestingly, what we find so often in our lives is we do not pursue that same level. You know, what we do so often and what is, what's, what's such a challenge for us is we, we rightfully come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior at a time in our lives. We come to him, we recognize who he is, and we realize that we desperately need Jesus' work in our lives. If it wasn't for Jesus' work, for his paying the price for our sin, if it wasn't for what he did for us and the very fact that through his work and through his accomplished work, we no longer have the fear of the penalty of sin in our lives. We are free of that. But so often what we do is we look for Jesus. When we recognize that a sin in our lives, we come to Jesus. We confess our sin to Jesus. We trust him as our Lord and Savior And then, like our Christmas decorations, we put Jesus away and we fail to recognize that we need to continually be a people who look for Jesus, who continue to pursue our relationship, our walk with Jesus. We recognize that if these men looked for Jesus, they studied, they studied the stars. God revealed to them aspects of his creation. He drew them there. And as we look for Jesus, please understand, don't forget to study, to look, to pursue. I, I remember my, my father's, if you, if you were around me very often, you know that my father was a hero in my life. He is with Jesus today in so many ways. He still is a hero of my life because of his faith and because to me he modeled his faith not just in his prayer, but in his open Bible every morning. My father not only taught me to study the Word of God, he modeled his love for the Word of God. And as in my introduction, I I grew up in East Africa. My mother and father went to Africa in the 50s when it was hard and a difficult place to be. But yet through his faith and their commitment to the word of God, they looked for Jesus. They studied scripture and he studied scripture to the day the Lord Jesus took him home. My mother is still alive and doing well at 92 in Florida and she also has this love of scripture. But looking for Jesus means that we study, we look in his word, we look intently in it. But the other dangers that we can have so often is we look at the word of God and, and we look at it academically. Some will say that these three wise men, it was just simply a, a scientific endeavor. Let's go find Jesus and the star. Let's figure out what the star's up to. But I think that actually cheapens the story because, again, the main theme is worship. To be and to continue to pursue and to look for Jesus is to be a people not only who read and study his word, but we do so in light of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Has your study of scripture become dry? Are you, are you like 
myself, and I'll say the same thing, there's days where I can sit down and I can read a passage of scripture, I can get up, and if I go in the next room and my wife asks me, what do you read? The Bible. Well, what do you learn? And all of a sudden my mind's like, uh... And that, again, isn't necessarily old age. It's we can get distracted. But the difference is, is we study scripture, and if, you're, if your intent is to be transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit scripture, then make sure that you pause even before you look at scripture and ask the Holy Spirit to open your blind heart, eyes, pull away any distractions so that you may see the truth that is revealed in it. Look for Jesus. So they not only had to study to come to know Jesus, and that's our call to also to continue to study but they also physically traveled. They actually went someplace. I know that I'm, in essence, preaching to the choir this morning because you're here, but active, as you move into 23 and 4, active worship together means you go someplace. God has designed us to be a people that worship in community. COVID has revealed that to us in so many ways. Isolation is not good for us. Worship is not worship when you're at home alone. There's a level where you need to have your private and personal worship. I understand that. But true worship is when God's people gather together and where two or three are gathered together in his name. In worship, the Holy Spirit is with them. And that's where we find strength and encouragement. Sometimes, and it needs to be a pattern of our lives, that we physically are willing to get up and go and to worship, to pursue and to chase after Jesus. See, interestingly, though, when we look at our lives, and I think it's so true about our walk with the Lord, interestingly, interestingly, we're either moving towards Jesus or away from him. You know, there is no just putting a pause. You know, I can hardly watch regular TV anymore where I can't stop a show, right? Or, you know, I, I can't do that, right? Because I got to pause. I, I don't want to miss something. I can pause, get a drink, pause for whatever reason. But we can't pause. We cannot pause our Christian life. We can't pause our relationship with Jesus because we are either moving towards him, we're growing in our knowledge of grace, or we're moving away from him. There's no room for standing still. So not only did they look for Jesus, and are we, as we go through our lives, called to look for Jesus, but they fell down and worshipped when they found him. So much of our lives, as we think about it, is, is pursuing our own interests. The whole picture of falling down in worship isn't something we do. I, I didn't see anybody, again, as Scott was leading worship, I didn't see anybody at the time as we come in, let's all fall on our knees and worship. Fall on our face, actually. We may do that at times in our personal lives, but there is something there that is so profound in our hearts. Whether we fall down physically, humbly we come to him in worship, recognizing who he is. And I want to tell you that when we fall down and we worship, it isn't just out of fear because we are afraid. It's not just simply a submissive posture because we don't want him to get mad at us. It's a falling down, it's a response to worship because we recognize how deep the love of God is for us in his giving his son, Jesus Christ. I want to tell you that if there's anything that should make you fall on your knees, it's the recognition of, what, of the immense love of God for us. That's where we find the joy. That's where we find the delight. That's where we can come together and we can rejoice 
and we can come before him with a humble heart. It's the humble heart where we find the most, that we, are, we, we come before the Lord to worship. So we move, we look for Jesus. We are overjoyed because of what he's done for us. Our response to the gospel of the good news of Jesus is worship, is falling down a humble heart. Then we see also that they presented him gifts. Early on, we did this service, part of our worship was to give him our tithes and our love offerings. So often, and I don't know where you are, I do know that in Cherry Hill, through various events and the economy and COVID, for, you know, we had to tighten our budget a little bit. Because there's something funny about when people don't necessarily come to church, they don't give to the same level. And so often what we, we have a misconstrued idea of what giving and tithing means to us. We can't neglect the fact that there is a tax benefit to it. We can't neglect the idea, and, and maybe some of us struggle with, you know, if I give to God, he'll give back, and, and I want to give because I want something, rather than just coming and realizing that we're presenting our gifts to him because of who he is. That's why we give our gifts. That's why we give our tithes. That's why we share our finances. That's why we give of our time. That's why we come and we serve the church as, as we should, is because we're giving ourselves, we're giving gifts back to Jesus because of what he has given us, a gift that's beyond comprehensive. Compre comp you see, most people come to Jesus for the gifts. There's a lot of preachers and teachers that that's what they sell, isn't it? Come to Jesus. God doesn't want you to, to struggle with your finances. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants you to be wealthy. So come to Jesus. He'll give you whatever you want. But the truth is, coming to Jesus, as we come to him and we recognize who it is, our wants change, our desires change. And coming to Jesus, and then we mature in our faith with him, we recognize that we want to give him gifts, not look for gifts from, from him, because he's already given us the greatest gift that we could ever have. See, when we look at this passage, we recognize that wise men, wise women, wise students, wise children still seek Jesus. Still seek Jesus. Because they recognize that they need him every day of their lives. As you move into a new year, and it's for good reasons, we don't know what our future holds, but we know for certainty that the, that the Jesus, that these wise, these magi went to find, has completed his work on earth. That regardless of what we may face, he rules, he is the ruler, he holds all things in his hands. And because of that, there's great reason for hope and for comfort. So as we recognize that he holds all things, he's gracious and he's kind and he's loving and his grace has no ends. Our prayer and our ambition should be as we move into this year that we do seek Jesus. We continue to look for him. We seek him when we're struggling. We, we seek him every day of our lives. We seek him in the middle of our, our days. We seek him when we have a, a problem with a, with a child and a misbehaved child. We pray in that moment, Father, give me wisdom. Jesus, give me grace in this moment. When we're facing suffering, when we're going through loss, 
when we're going through uncertainties, wherever it may be, we seek Jesus in that moment. We go to him. We ask him for strength, and we ask him for help. We ask him for wisdom. You see, what we've been given as believers in Jesus Christ is the very spirit of God that lives within us, that we're never left alone. And he promises strength and hope and encouragement in our, ha- in our time of need. So often we become overwhelmed with our problems and our worries. We become overwhelmed with the stress of life simply because we fail to go to Jesus. We fail to recognize in that moment we can pray and find strength and hope and encouragement even in the darkest hours. Now that's good news. So as we close, we, can't, we must respond by glorying, rejoicing with exceeding joy as the wise men in the glory of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus, this child who we, who we just looked at, who the wise men came to seek, is the one who has paid for the penalty for our sins. The penalty for our sins, every one of them, has been nailed to the cross. And as a result of that, today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are loved by God as much as you'll ever be. You are loved today as you sit in this room, as you will be when we're in the new heavens and the new earth. That's the guarantee. The only difference is, is when we get there, we'll actually understand the love. The love of the Father is exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine. It's wider and longer than than the East is from the West. That's the good news. As you sit here today, regardless of what you're going through, that's the good news of the gospel. Our sins are forgiven. The law, the requirements of the law were nailed to the cross in Jesus Christ. But the good news of the gospel is that also he, he empowers us and strengthens us for this journey as we go through our lives as we look to him, and as we seek him. That is great reason to praise him and to praise the Lord. So are you this morning an individual, man, woman, student, or child who is looking for Jesus? Are you pursuing Jesus? If not, I encourage you to make that your endeavor for 2023. Let me pray. Father, we recognize that the gospel is true. We recognize that we don't just gather together out of tradition, but we are worshiping you through your son, Jesus Christ, and enabled by the Holy Spirit. You've given us a gospel that is not only true, but it's active, and it's hope for us not only for eternity, but every day of our lives. So Father, as we move into this new year, give us the grace to pursue you to move towards you, to look to you every moment of our lives. And may we find a deeper hope. May we find a deeper joy. May we find a comfort that, Father, we had never found before. And may we be able to rest in the reality of your deep, deep love for us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.